0: try that again. Good morning, good news. You still sound real sweet, but I forgive you. I uh, want to thank, for those of you that uh, went out to the graduation, thank you so much. I'm pretty sure I saw Nader going crazy with a Puerto Rican flag and all the rest of you. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, glad to be done. It's been a good first week of the summer. Uh, so I'm just grateful to be here with you guys. that, 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 uh, that I can see you such, such close family. It is so wonderful to have some of you there uh, to sit so with me and those others that have graduated. Um, let me go ahead and pray and we will go right into it, alright? Lord, we give you the thanks once more uh, that you constantly reveal yourself to us, that you won't leave us in the dark about who you are. Um, that we can come to you with the knowledge of, of how you will respond with loving grace. Uh, we know, Lord, that this is undeserved. We recognize that today. We acknowledge uh, that we can do nothing to earn this right. And yet here we are today before you. We thank you that your presence is in our midst. That we can feel you close to the mirror. We ask now, Lord, that uh, as we dive into your word, may you speak and may we listen. Give us the ears to hear what you have to say. Because we know that you have been hearing our cries all throughout the week. We know that you have seen our pain. That you know all things that are going on both in our hearts, Lord, and in our lives. And so again, Lord, we just ask that we would hear you speaking to those situations. Pray this, Lord, in the name of your precious Son, who has given us access now to you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, some of you got to meet my mom this past weekend. It was great to, to have her get to know some of the people of the church. Um, and my mom always says this, and... I try to make sure that it's not true, but, but it is actually. Uh, she says that somehow, she manages to make it into every one of my sermons. For the record, I make sure to ask her before ever doing it. This sermon's not gonna be any different. Because, see, six or seven years ago, my parents separated. They've been divorced now for some time. Um, And over this weekend, we we got to, in some sense, encounter the reality of their divorce again. Um, And I'm so grateful to the Lord for what he did in that season to bring us, our family, through that situation, that crisis. And I'm grateful to God for where he has my mom today. Because in some sense, she's way stronger than she's ever been. And I'm so grateful to God for that. But that didn't happen so easily. In fact, it was quite the opposite. During that season of divorce, when my father left, I could say that it was easily the darkest hour in my mother's life. It was the darkest hour in my family's life. It was the darkest hour in my life. As we dealt with the reality of the fact that dad wasn't coming back home. The nights were hard long, slow, As we dealt with the pain of divorce in that reality. And my mom, my brother, and myself, we did the only thing that we knew to do, escape. Pop in a movie and watch hours of television. Sleep for as long as possible, hoping that we'd wake up and it all would be a dream. We did the best thing we needed to do was sleep, escape, do everything possible to ignore the reality, face the truth that the night was going to be long, that the day and morning will change nothing. The pain would still be there. We all have nights like those. We all have restless nights that we lay in our bed wide awake as we face the reality of the fact that morning changes nothing, that our wife will still be ill, that our husband will still be the same person, that our children will have the same problems, that the bills will still be on the table, And our marriage will still be in struggle. That was part of the problem with the night for my family. The pain of the night wasn't simply the fact that Dad was gone, but it was the reality that tomorrow promised more anguish. More agony. You we face the reality of the fact that he wasn't coming back. That's the pain of the night that we need to learn to respond to. That's the question we face. How do we deal with the morning that's coming and the promise that it brings? We don't often talk about pain, do we? We don't often talk about agony, much less the kind that stays for long periods of time. We don't usually want to deal with that, but the reality is that every single person in this room Every member of good news by the church, every member of the church, every human being, has their night. Has that moment that they lay restless as they face the reality of pain in the morning. And I'm grateful to God that when I say every person, I can include in that our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, who had his night face the reality of an agonizing morning. See, in Matthew 26, we find Jesus dealing with the pain of the night and the agony and anxiety of tomorrow's promise. In Matthew 26, some commentators say that we find the saddest story of scripture. Matthew 26, some have said, is the climax of the Bible. Some call Matthew 26 the darkest hour of human history. Matthew 26 reveals to us a Jesus in pain, wrestling with that question. How do we respond to the agony of the night and the anxiety of tomorrow's promise? And so I invite you, if you haven't turned there already, to join me there among the olive trees walk into the garden with me in Matthew 26 as we look to see how our Savior will respond to the very pain of that reality to see if we can learn something from his response today. And Jesus' night starts with a warning Matthew 26 verse 31 Jesus said to them that he was the disciples You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night... Before the rooster to close, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now this night didn't start any different than any other. The disciples, along with their teacher, went to celebrate Passover. They had their meal. They follow the traditions as they should be, the bitter eggs, the lamb. In that sense, nothing seemed different this night, but yet the conversation took a strange turn. The food was rich, the conversation great, the memory unforgettable, but Jesus was different towards the end of this night. He talked about the bread and cup as remembrances of Himself. Suggesting that He would read them. Along with the disciples, they sung a hymn during the night. Now this wasn't unusual. It was something that they normally did after Passover. They would sing songs. They sung their song and Jesus invited them for a walk. And the disciples could probably tell that something was different this night, but this Passover is unlike the rest, because Jesus breaks the silence of the night, the silence of the night as they walk through the mountain of Olives with this warning, you will all fall away because of me this night, the shepherd will be stricken, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus breaks the silence of the night with a somber reality, a warning that the hour that he had been talking about for so long had come, and this night would usher it in. That the crucifixion is near, that the death is coming. And here's the warning to the disciples, you will all fall away will all flee because of me this night. It changes everything about that Passover celebration. And Peter, the Peter, being a lot like somebody that I'd probably be friends with because I think I would do the same thing he did. That for sure many of us would do what Peter does in the story. He hears Jesus give this warning. He recognizes that something is different, but he refuses to acknowledge that he will respond like the rest. Look what he says. Verse 33. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter is the exception to the rule. All the rest of the disciples who have walked with Jesus the same amount of time as Peter will fall away, but Peter is the exception to the rule. How read that way sometimes about Christian rock. No, 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 the pain of the night won't affect me. In fact, the promise of tomorrow's affliction won't bother me. I'll go through it. Everyone else might struggle, but not me. I don't know about you, but I resemble Peter very often. When I face the reality of the fact that Scripture promises trial and persecution, I constantly think of myself as that lone martyr. Now I'll be that guy. I'm the exception to the rule. But Jesus isn't isn't encouraged by this bravado. This zeal doesn't impress him because he tells Peter further, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. The others will fall away, but you will deny me altogether. The zeal and bravado, the chest-pounding bravery of Peter is responded to by Jesus with the face of reality. You will fall like the rest, and what you will do is much worse. But again, in overconfidence and zero, Peter responds, I am the exception to the rule. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And I love what Matthew does here guys. Stand among the olive trees, look at the disciples and their faces. Close your eyes if you have to so you can see them. Stand among the olive trees and try to realize that Jesus is telling them that the crucifixion is coming. Try to imagine how you would respond because look what the disciples do. Look at this little detail that Matthew gives us at the end of verse 35 and all the disciples said the same Mob mentality at its worst it's mob think Peter as a great boy, boy, says Now I'm the exception to the rule All the rest of the disciples? Well yeah, me too Yeah, 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 I, I won't deny you No, 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 I'll be with you even if I have to face death This is mob think at its worst Look at their faces as they look to one another and nod, trying to encourage one another that it's true. See them in this hour of darkness. Because the night is getting later, The air is getting colder. And they've arrived to the garden of Gethsemane in their hearts. Jesus told them to sit and wait. To pray, he invites three of the disciples to join him. The inner circle, if you will. Arguably Jesus' closest friends. The same disciples who watched Jesus raise a girl from the dead. The same disciples who witnessed the transfiguration. Peter, James, John. The inner circle. The disciples are invited to join Jesus, and I'm sure that they expected the same thing that they saw the last time they were invited to a private moment with their teacher. They expected something miraculous, something wonderful, something faith-filling and inspiring. The last time they were with Jesus in a moment like this, Jesus turned to light. Moses and Elijah appeared to speak to him. I'm sure, in some sense, the disciples, these three, We're looking for something just like that to happen again. But instead of finding a light shining Christ, they find a pale and distressed king. Instead of seeing a king dressed in the robes of light, they find a teacher sweating in the agony of night. Instead of finding a Lord in his confidence, they we'll find a man in his brokenness. Because look to see what happens next. Towards the end of verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And Jesus says to them, verse 38, my soul is very sorrowful even to death and here and watch with me. I'm not to forget the first time I saw my mother cry. I had no idea what to do. Not a clue. Because I never thought that she would cry. I never pictured or imagined that even happening. I don't have a category for mom crying. She was the strong pillar in the house. She kept things going. She was the one who always knew what to do in a problem or crisis. During that season of divorce, I'll never forget the first time I saw my mom cry because I was left clueless. And I have no idea how the disciples responded here, but I'd imagine that it was something similar because Jesus was the one that was always in control. Jesus was the one that was always calm and collected. Jesus was the one that always knew exactly what was going on. He had a pulse of the situation. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He healed the sick. He fed those who were needy. Jesus was always in control. I can't imagine how the disciples responded, but I'm sure that they did something like what I did when my mom just nodded in shock at the words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus, sorrowful so sad and depressed that he feels that like he could die? The teacher? Who emboldened his face the Pharisees? The teacher who walked on water and calmed the storm? Jesus the King? Sorrowful to the point that he could die? I have no idea what the disciples did in response, but I'd imagine that they did the best that they could to just nod their heads and say, yeah, we will in there and watch. Okay? And what happens next is even more perplexing. Jesus goes off. stone's throw away. Just a small distance. Matthew says, and going a little further, verse 39, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prays in response to the warning that he had just given. He had just prophesied that the hour was coming, the night was dark, and the morning was arriving. His crucifixion was at hand. It was here. It had come. And look at Jesus' prayer. My Father. Let this pass if it's possible, but not as I will, as you will. Even facing the reality of what is coming in the morning, Jesus prays in submission to the Father, not as I will, Lord, but as you will. Though I hope that we would not have to be estranged, Father, though I would hope that I would not have to be separated from you by carrying the burdens of humanity's sin, let your will be done. If that's what must happen, then let your will be done, Lord. That's the cup he's talking about. The crucifixion where Jesus faces all of humanity's sin, carries it on his back, dies for us, feels the estrangement of being separated from the Father, and the abandonment of his loved ones. That's the cup he's praying about here. Let this cup pass, but if that's not possible, let your will be done, not mine, Father. I have no idea what the disciples did when they faced Jesus and he said he was troubled, but I wonder what they did while he was praying. What if they tried to listen into his words? wonder if they tried to catch glimpses of what would happen next. But we don't have to wonder because Matthew tells us what happens next. Jesus returns to face his disciples and how does he find them? they forty. He came to the disciples and found them what? Sleeping. Stand among the olive trees and imagine this. The king of kings on his face praying his disciples on their backs sleeping the lord of lords in anguish dealing with the reality that tomorrow's morning brings further pain his disciples trying to dream it all away Jesus completely aware of what is coming as the disciples woefully ignorant zealous and overcome them. you see a stark contrast between the two? it's shocking to see how they would respond sleep but at the same time I'm not surprised it's the human instinct, it's what we do when something hurts us badly, we try to sleep it all away. We've all been there. We know what that's like. You know what that's like. And so Jesus, his response to them is no surprise. And he addresses the also brave one, Peter. He addresses him directly. So could you not watch with me just one hour? Watch and look at your eyes. Watch and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He said, "Remain here and watch." That was his first command. Now he says, "Watch and pray," but this is not for Jesus, for their own sake. Watch and pray, that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing sure I know you want to do what is right but the flesh is weak the flesh is weak so pray and off goes Jesus a second time to pray but this time his prayer is a little different let's look at his prayer this time verse 42 my father if this cannot pass unless I drink it your will be done How both prayers happened, how they began. My father. This is a private conversation we have window into. This is a father-son moment. This is the first time that we get to see the relationship between father and son, tested. Put to the test, put on the burner. This is very relational. My father. Look at how this, this prayer changes. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will, will be done. Jesus is coming to terms with the reality of the situation. He's gaining emotionally resolve. In the first prayer, he said, not my will be done, your will. In this second prayer, the will of Jesus doesn't show up at all. Look at it. Look at his words. In the first prayer, not as I will, but as you will. The second prayer verse 42, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. No mention of his own will this time. Just the will of the Father. Jesus is coming to terms with the reality of the situation. He's gaining emotional resolve. He's being strengthened in his spirit as he prays. And he's coming to the reality of the situation, being painfully prepared deal with the morning's anguish and you would think that after the first warning the disciples would stay up you would think that they would stay awake but they don't, they don't. The food of that night must have been too heavy, the cooking too good, the night too late, the hour too dark. They really couldn't handle all of that. And look at verse forty-three says that when Jesus came and found them sleeping, what did say? Their eyes were heavy. This isn't surprising. I remember the nights that I stayed with my mom as she asked that we would remain with her and her dealing with the reality of her situation. It was hard to stay awake. It was hard to deal with the pain. Even in the day, it was hard to be home. It was hard to want to. Aren't we all like that? Wouldn't we all rather escape to a dream? To face something that we can create and change, a situation we have control over. Wouldn't we all rather sleep it all away with heavy eyes? It's our natural instinct. It's the way we deal with anxiety and anguish. It's what we do. And so I'm not surprised by how the disciples responded. And neither is Jesus. He doesn't wake them up the second time. He leaves them to pray ahead. He doesn't wake them up. He doesn't shake them. He doesn't scorn them. He simply leaves. It had to be hard for the King of Kings. Here he is dealing with the darkest hour of his life and his friends have failed him. They could not stay awake with him. They could not share his burden. The same friends who said that they would drink of his cup, James and John, said that they would be ready to drink of the same cup just a few chapters prior who said, even if I had to die, I will not deny you. Those same three disciples have already failed. Have already shown that their words are empty. They did not mean what they said, but that the flesh indeed is weak, even if the spirit is willing. And Jesus prays a third time, prays again he returns to his disciples and says verse 45 sleep and take your rest later on time is up see the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand time is up the morning is here and you, you guys know the story the betrayer Judas shows up with a great crowd with swords and clubs to arrest the King of Kings, and you know how the story pans out. The disciples end the story in complete opposite of the way they started. Peter ends the story in complete opposite of the way he started. He started pounding his chest saying he would be exception to the rule. He ends with one swing of the sword and then he's running. The disciples scatter. The scene of Gethsemane is one of people running in every direction, leaving Jesus alone. Because that's the promise of tomorrow's agony. The betrayal of our loved ones, the denial of some and the abandonment of many. That's what Jesus said that morning. The betrayal of loved ones, the denial of some, and the abandonment of none alone to deal with his own pain. And the point of the story is found in that contrast. While the disciples literally failed to do what they claimed that they would, you guys know how the story ends. Jesus stands firm and in control before that great crowd. As Judas kisses him, acknowledging who he is, Jesus quietly goes away, ready to deal with the reality of his crucifixion. Prepared for the moment. The point of the story is that only painful prep will get us ready for the anguish of the morning. Only the painful prep of prayer through the night will get us through the reality of tomorrow's agony. It's prayer, good news, by the Church. We've been going through this series on prayer so that we would learn to pray from the examples of those we've seen. And here we have an example like no other. Here we have an example from the very King himself And he prays through the darkest hour of his life. And he shows us that he too dealt with a dark night. And a painful morning. It's prayer. Only painful prep. The painful prep of prayer will get us ready to deal with the agony of the morning. And it's not just any kind of prayer. It's not any kind of prayer. It's a vigilant prayer. It's a watchful prayer. Look at the warnings of Jesus. Watch. Remain here and watch. Stay alert. Be awake. Look for the hand of God as it moves. That's what it means. Watch. Look for the hand of God as he works. Look for God responding to the pain. Don't be escapist. We can't be escapists like the disciples. We can't sleep the pain away, it never works. It's our normal response, but that's what we can't do. We have to stay vigilant, we can't escape. And oh, how many escapes the world offers to us. Some seem simple and painless the escapes of social media. As we face the pain of our own lives, we escape into the fake world of social media to see the joys, to see the smiles of the pictures of others. We escape the pain of our reality by hiding in the joy of someone else's, by faking our own joy, taking pictures that we add ourselves, posting things, quotes in others, but mask the reality of our own pain. I'm not trying to bash social media and tell you guys all to delete it or anything like that but I am saying that there is a reality that that is an escape like no other. It seems simple and harmless but it is an escape nonetheless. And it leaves us just as empty as when we enter into that world. You can't hide from the pain. There is no escape that works. For my family, it is lots of TV. Lots of movies. Lots of going into fantasy worlds of different kinds. Things we could choose, stories we want to listen to, to see. For some of us, it's sports. For others of us, it's going to the houses of our friends, our loved ones. Always talking about their lives, but never talking about our own. Looking to escape in whatever way possible. Some escapes are even justifiable. I want to talk about one that I have been dealing with recently. I want to give a warning if any of you are in this scenario like I am in now. But to some sense, we can justify the escape of ministry. I moved from Florida four years ago to come to the Moody Bible Institute to study. And for four years, I escaped the reality of the pain that was back home and the brokenness with which I responded to that pain, the hurt of my family. And it wasn't until graduation weekend that I realized I had shoved this all under the rug, justifying it in my escape into ministry training, into ministry involvement. For those of us in ministry, it's very easy to justify hiding our own pain for the sake of demonstrating the strength in our ministry. Let me warn you now that that will also leave you empty. We cannot be escapists. The scriptures show us in this example that the reality is that we must be vigilant. We have to watch through the night for the movement of God's hand as he strengthens us to deal with the pain of tomorrow. The vigilance isn't enough. It's not just staying up all night facing the reality of the night. The painful prep of prayer will get us ready, but it's vigilance prayer and obedient prayer that gets us through. See, we have to look at the words of Jesus because when Jesus prays, we should pay attention. Because when Jesus prays, he's teaching us how we should. And notice that in his prayers, he's always self-giving in submission to the will of the Father. He's always resolute to give up his own desires for the desires of the Father. In this test of their relationship, Jesus always goes with what the Father wills. When the Father wills that the crucifixion is the way in which uh, humanity would be saved, Jesus We should realize that Scripture promises that the Christian life is not one of roses and bliss. It's one of pain, it's one of trial and testing. Our prayers are to be vigilant and obedient, meaning that we should recognize that this is the will of the Father, that we too would carry the cross, that we would join to the Savior on that death, dying to ourselves, being self-giving in submission in our prayers, that our prayers would always be submitted to the King. When we face the reality of pain, that we would acknowledge if this is your will then I will go through this I will not hide I will not escape I will bear this burden I will drink this cup if that's what you expect there's nothing wrong with praying angrily to God I've demanded that there is in some sense a need to learn to pray obedient as well in self-giving submission and say, Lord, let your will be done. But there's one more thing we could learn from this scenario. We see here that the difference, that Jesus ready to face that great crowd and the crucifixion with his prayer, that it was a vigilant prayer, that it was an obedient prayer, but also that it was a learned prayer. Jesus was trained for this moment. But it's important to be trained for that moment. We have to study in the college of prayers, enlist and enroll in the university of lament. We have to be ready to pray in that moment. And Jesus demonstrates the level of his training when he says that he is sorrowful. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death, there in that expression Jesus showed the level of his training. Last summer I worked at a camp, kids across America, I've talked to some of you about it. Wonderful camp, I think the youth are going back this year. There at the camp, the director, Richard Jemerson, he drilled us on all the safety tips. Over and over and over and over and over. He drilled us and drilled us and drilled us. He would remind us of all the tips at the pool to make sure that a kid won't drown. Praise God for rules so kids don't drown. And he would tell us the stories all the time. In crisis, people fall back to the level of their training. He always repeated it. In crisis, people will fall back to the level of their training. That's why he drove us. And that's why we have to all those safety tips so many times. I think that applies spiritually as well. In crisis, we will fall back in our prayers to the level of our prayer training. That's what Jesus does. When he says that his soul is sorrowful, even to the point of death, you hear echoes of the words of Psalm 42. Where the psalmist says, so, why are you downcast and troubled? Trust in the Lord hear echoes of his training in the Psalms. As a matter of fact, it's not the only place where you see Jesus training. Look at the days of his prayers in the story. Remember back to Matthew chapter 6 when the disciples asked Jesus how we should pray? How does that prayer start? Our, Our Father. How does Jesus start his prayers in these two instances we see? My Father. In Matthew 6 when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, He ends that prayer, Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does Jesus end these small prayers here in this chapter? Let your will be done, not my own. Here you see the level of His training. It's great to fall on our knees, fall on our face and pray in spontaneity, but there is a degree that we must be trained in the language of prayer. In the language of scripture. That's the blessing of this series, Give Us Bible Church. We're not just showing you examples of prayers so you can see them in particular scenarios. We want to show you the lives of men, women, rich, poor, king, and just a lay person. Every single scenario of life, so that you can see that Scripture gives us every example of how to pray in every scenario, in every circumstance of life, whether it be joy or sadness, pain or relief. There is examples of prayer, the book of Psalms, a list of hundred and fifty prayer and songs for us to be trained in. That we may learn how to pray to the Father. We looked at King Nebuchadnezzar to pray in the siege of Sennacherib. We looked at Hannah as she prayed in her barrenness. We looked at Jesus to see how he prayed through the agony of night as he faces the reality of crucifixion. We've got examples good news, to learn how to pray. May we use them. May we build ourselves, when you enroll in the University of Prayer, and I'm not talking about the Moody Bible Institute, I'm talking about the Word of God. When we learn to pray, as the scriptures teach us, because that is the painful prep that will get us ready to face tomorrow. That will help us get us through. And I also, some of you are saying, well, I struggle. I'm not sure that I know how to pray, nor do I know where to start in Scripture. There are other tools, and I want to show them to you today. Eight months ago, when I returned to Chicago from summer camp, I did an internship at Living Hope Community Church, where I also preached here as well in the book of Exodus. Some of you remember that. I had the privilege of having a mentor, named Professor Neely, a teacher at at Moody, he was also the Senior Pastor of Living Hope. And I told him the truth of where I was at in those months. It was a dark season for me. I was lonely, I didn't like being off campus, I was struggling with that reality, I didn't know what to do, and I told him I was having a hard time praying. And Neely gave me one of the best gifts that I think I've ever received in my life. He went to his bookshelf and I had seen him use this book before. He pulled it out and he handed it to me. He said, I've been using this copy for the last 15 years. My notes are still in it. I use it every day to pray. So, A.W. AW Tabor's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It goes through the attributes of God. Maybe you go through one attribute every day and pray with the reality of that attribute. God's love, Lord you are loving, you love me, you love the sinner, you are out to reach out to the sinner in grace because of your love. He would pray through that attribute. Every day he used this to the point that the cover is gone. Good news, as a side note, there is no greater gift that you can give to your child as a parent, as a lesson in prayer something like this. Get a journal. Write your prayers down. And give your child a window into your prayer life. And not a fake window. Not a generic one. A real window into your prayer life. Into the prayers of your joy and into the prayers of your sadness. Let them see you pray in all circumstances. Prepare them. Teach them to pray. Teach your child how to pray. And if you don't know how, grab yourself a tool and begin a training in the school of prayer. There are many tools out there. There's one more that I want to show you. It's one that I've been using over the course of the last year. It's called the Valley of Vision. It's Puritan prayers. It was handed to me by Amber and Brenton as they were leaving Moody Bible Institute. I want to end this sermon with one of these prayers, a prayer entitled, Paril, as a reminder that through the perilous dark of the night, and the anxiety of tomorrow's promise, only the painful prep of prayer will get us through. Vigilant, obedient, trained prayer. I'm going to ask that the prayer counselors come forth, the rest of you, close your eyes as the band comes up. And I want you to reflect on the